Welcome to Family Financial Views from University of Illinois Extension. Hi, this is Kathy Sweetler, Consumer Economics Educator from University of Illinois Extension. And um, today, Sasha Robinstetter, my colleague, and I, we're going to be talking a little bit about financial fraud and how that impacts individuals and families. And one of the reasons I, we really wanted to talk about this is that I'm always struck by how many older adults, especially, but all of us, are targeted by financial fraud on kind of a regular basis. So whenever I do a program that has older adults in the audience, I always ask, like, how many of you have ever been gotten a phone call that says, hey, this is your grandson, I'm in Mexico or Europe or wherever, and I'm in trouble, please wire me money. And usually, it's like two-thirds or three-quarters of the audience, at least, that raise their hand and say they've gotten that phone call. Seisha, have you ever gotten that phone call? Um, no, but I know that um, a secretary in my office recently got got that phone call like the grandson was just like sleeping taking a nap at the house he wasn't anywhere that he could be out that, and world. that's a great check right like yes. you can look over and see him and say okay he's not in jail in mexico so we don't have to worry about that yes um i know my parents who are older adults they get this call like on a regular basis and my dad loves to play with the person that's calling i'm always <laughs> like just hang up dad but um and he'll always say well which grandson is this and they'll say oh this is like your oldest grandson and he's like wrong i have twins that are the oldest <laughs> so he thinks that's hilarious and that um, hilarious. like like frustrate them but so i think it's worth talking about this a little bit because we know it's very common um it's something it might not be the grandparent call but it might be something else that there's all these different frauds and scams out there and i think it's worth talking about how do we protect ourselves and also how do we help other people protect themselves yeah. so I'm looking forward to this topic. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I know. Because, like, it matters, and it's just kind of amazing what's going on out there. Yes. So we should probably start out by, like, well, how would you define financial fraud, Seisha? Because I think sometimes that's even confusing to people. Um, to me, financial fraud is, like, the intention of hurting someone financially. Like, that's what I would, you know in my layman's terms, like, you know, my intention is to either take money from you, steal it from you or manipulate in some, you in some way to get it. That's how I, I think that's really a good um, point. Cause so it's not like when, you know, somebody, let's say you went to a, a, a stockbroker and, or you bought stocks and your stocks don't do well. Mm -hmm. That's not financial fraud that you might lose money financially, but it's not fraud. Stocks that's risk. That's financial risk. Yeah. But fr I, fraud to me is like, it's manipulation. It, like my end goal is to intentionally harm you. Yes. And to steal that money from you. So I think that's a great point to kind of set out. And I think the other thing we want to really make clear is like this fraud can happen to anybody. It's yes. not about how smart you are, what age you are, how educated you are, how much money you have. We see fraud everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it happens to everyone. Um, it happens to young adults. It happens to old, older adults. It happens to men and women. There's no, I mean, there's scams out there for, for, for I mean, financial fraud is out there for everyone. Like there's something out there for everyone to get involved in, unfortunately, and then lose money intentionally. So, 
Exactly. And they might target different fraud schemes might be targeted different, you know, demographics or age groups. Um, you know, they're not calling a lot of 20 year olds talking about their grandchildren. But um, <laughs> but still, I think we all need to be aware of some kind of red flags that are warnings that might help us slow down. Because a lot of times when I talk to people who've been victims of financial fraud, it's because they they were in a situation where they moved fast. You know, something came up and they didn't have a chance to really think about it. They just reacted. So I always like to tell people, you know, if you are um, have an option, you know, somebody calls you or you get approached by something uh, that involves finances, make sure you take time to step back and think about it before you act on it. Do you have any other favorite, like, tips for people about how to spot red flags around fraud well like i think the my my uh most favorite scene from a movie is um the wolf on wall street where leonardo dicaprio's character is trying to sell penny stocks to this man and like everything that you just talked about um those red flags just kind of like pop up while you're watching that scene um and you don't have to watch the whole movie to like see that scene i think you can find it on like youtube but um i mean he's like you know trying to be secretive about it like you're gonna make tons of money like he doesn't really you know i mean and the, the scene happens within like a minute or a minute and a half and the man like uh, the person he's talking to i think ends up giving him like twenty thousand dollars or something to start but to see how well he does as a as a stockbroker mm-hmm. uh, and obviously this is a fraud like a, uh, you know for sure fraud not all you know stockbrokers are fraud but in this scene um it just shows how quickly it can happen and i i just really love that scene so it's a good it's a good scene to watch but i think it's that whole thing about you know especially with investment fraud you know promises of guaranteed riches that pressure to act fast this is a special opportunity just for you so yes. don't tell anybody else and i'm always like why would i be so special like why are you sharing it with me but so I think those are are those kinds of things and sometimes it's just kind of that basic thing of if it sounds too good to be true it probably is I can agree with that if it I mean many times I've heard that too you know the the frauds about like the lottery and you know all these all these sorts of things they just they're always too good to be true Right. And so, you know, when you get that feeling where you think, oh, this sounds a little bit too good to be true, it's really a good time to to reach out to somebody else that you trust and just talk it over with them before you take action. And then I think the other kind of flag that is becoming more and more important in our technological world is one, don't wire money. When you get asked to wire money, you really yes. need to think about what that, why you're doing that. Why do they need you to wire money? Because wired money is like cash. You don't get it back. Or if they ask you to go buy a gift card and put a lot of money on it or a prepaid card. Again, you're essentially sending cash. So those that's not how, you know, normal financial transactions are transactions are done people do not um you're not wiring money you're not doing it with prepaid debit cards so those are big warnings I agree with you, Kathy. I mean, I've seen lots of people lose money that way. Actually, my friend in in college, he they had were looking for apartments uh, overseas, and then they were asked to wire money, and somebody was going to go pick up the money, and that money actually was stolen. So, yeah. I mean, it happens all the time to everyone. So, right, another good another good thing to think about. Like, don't be sending it in a way that it's just going to be gone. 
Yes, and I think, you know, what some of the research has shown, the young adults are often maybe the more frequent kind of exposed to fraud and scams because they don't have a lot of experiences. It's easy for them to fall for things. Yes. They don't have as much money to lose, perhaps, but it does happen to young adults as, um, as, as well as older adults, and I think that's important for people to realize um, if you have young adults in your life to talk about them about what does fraud look like and how do you protect yourself yes well you know while we're you know we've been talking about a little bit about men because I feel like men do a lot of that investment fraud things more often than not because they were risky I mean men are more we know that from research that men are more risky but you know young adults but we you know our focus today is more about older adults so Kathy you know how you know why do they why do people target older adults well, I think one of the reasons, and it kind of just makes sense when you start thinking about it, is they have more money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they've had a chance to accumulate money, right? It's kind of hard to get too much money out of an 18-year-old usually. Yes. Um, and so there's this, there's a pot of money to target. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think also, you know, when I, when I say like, you know, don't forget to like talk to other people about it. Older people sometimes get more socially isolated. They're not going to work every day. They're not, you know, kind of around people necessarily every day. So whereas I might go to work and kind of run by an idea with a colleague or a friend, um, older adults don't always have that, that easy option. So that being lonely and socially isolated, um, can really, um, increase the chance of somebody, falling into financial fraud and just like you know piggyback on that point like a lot of communities now are really pushing for um, older adults to become less socially isolated I know that where I live now um, a lot of coalitions are being um, built around this idea of helping older adults be more in the community and do more things. So I think that's great. So just to kind of piggyback off Kathy. Yeah, definitely those connections are so important um, for well-being and protection against fraud. Um, And just kind of, you know, and just to say, you know, like a lot of times I think people isolate themselves when they become, when they lose things, like when we are talking about, they become vulnerable, like due to grief, whether it's a loss of a spouse or a family member, a friend, or even a pet, like a pet is a great support system. And uh, we talked about that on our last podcast a lot, but I feel like, you know, losing one of those, losing any of those can really make that person even more isolated. Absolutely. So related to that also is that when we are under like emotional crisis or we're in grief, we don't make as good of decisions. Um, The research is really clear about that. So you want to make sure that if you have lost somebody or a pet that is important to you, that you just kind of in the back of your mind, remember, don't make any quick financial decisions. Don't make any big changes because you're, even if you feel like you're managing, you may not be making the best decisions that you could make in another situation. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you know, um, and you know, normal brain aging also affects decision making and judgment. Um, and we know that, you know, that, that our brains age and that it loses some of its ability over time. So just to kind of also say like, you know, you might be clouded because you're of grief, but you also might just be, you know, aging as well. 
Yes, and I think the key word there is normal brain aging. So we're not really talking about Alzheimer's or some, you know, really severe dementia. But just that aging process makes us more um, willing to do things that we might not have done 20 years earlier. So some of the impulse control goes down, some of the sort of filters of things that might have slowed our actions or made us look more critically at the situation. Those things change as we age. And so um, you may not think that you have, you know, you may not have dementia in the sense that you can't remember things or things like that, but we have aging. Aging happens. So we have to really kind of just be extra cautious as we get older. Um, and another reason, you know, that uh, older adults are often targeted is because um, they may be dependent on support from family members or caregivers to kind of remain independent, whether that's like grocery shopping or, you know, helping to write bills. Um, you know, financial fraud happens a lot in families, unfortunately. Like the research is very clear about um, even identity theft happens in families. You know, we have a colleague who does a lot of research in that. Um and it's kind of sad that that happens, but it does, it does happen a lot. I think that's the part that we don't like to talk about. We like to think about it being always a stranger that does fraud. But, I, you know, I think it's a really good point that it could also be somebody that they know, a caregiver or a family member. And we'll probably come back um, to that concept a little bit more as we move forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have tons and tons of stories, so I'm excited to share those on our podcast today. Um, Great. So... Kathy, why don't people report financial fraud or, you know, especially elder, you know, we're talking about exploitation of older adults. Like, why don't they report it? I think this is the key piece, right? There's so much going on. The government, the researchers are really trying to figure out how frequent it is and what is the extent of the loss. And every report I see over the years, it keeps coming out. The numbers grow. The the level of loss is growing as more people are reporting it. But I think it comes down to like, well, one, people are embarrassed. You know, they feel stupid about it. And they shouldn't necessarily feel stupid about it because it happens so frequently to people. Yeah. But I think, you know, when people after the fact they're like well that was dumb why did I let that happen um, and so then they don't want to tell people about it I know a lot of older adults worry that their children are watching to see how they're doing and if they you know admit that they've fallen or they admit that they've been, lost money in a fraud then they're afraid they're going to be pressured to change their living situation Yeah. I so you know you people want to maintain that independence and again it happens to all ages but I think people get a little bit more um, wary of sharing that information when they get older. I, mean, I, think there's there's... A, oh, I just think there's a lot of like self blame too. Like, Oh man, I wish I had seen that in, it's always better in hindsight, like 2020, we have 2020 vision after we've you know gone through experience. But I think a lot of times for people of all ages, like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Like, I can't believe that happened to me. Like that's a lot of self blame. Absolutely. And then I think the other reason is that often it is somebody that people know mm -hmm. and may not be family members. It could be like your neighbors, you know, nephew. It could be somebody in a social circle, could be somebody that's within your religious organization. Um, and there's a sense of I've, I've talked to people where I'm like, have you reported this? Because this is wrong and this is financial exploitation. And then people say to me, 
well, but they're such, you know, they're a key member of my community, whether that's the big community or my social community or or whatever. And I, I, I feel like I shouldn't really report it. I don't want them to get in trouble. I'm like, they took your money, but they really do have this sense of loyalty yeah. and not wanting to like rock the boat. And, you know, even though, you know, from my point of view, it should be reported so it doesn't happen to somebody else. Um, from their point of view, they're not really sure that they want to be the person that reports it. Well, I, I think prosecuting a family member, it just tears families apart. So, like, what? Right. what's the point of doing that? You know, it's just, let's... Right. But even when it's not a family want. member, it could be somebody, you know... At a community organization or yeah. something. So it could be, a, friend, um, it could be a, 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 yeah, I mean, a church leader. It could be anybody, really. And that's, I think, what we struggle with when we look at how do we protect ourselves and how do we help other people protect themselves is, you know, it would be so much easier if we could say, you know, well, they're going to be a scary looking person that, <laughs> you know, is going to have a mask over their face when they approach you. Um, wouldn't you that know, be nice? Wouldn't that be wouldn't nice? That, then, then, you know, we could all like be watching for people walking around with masks on. Um, <laughs> it's not how it works. So I think this is, you know, it kind of just leads into the problems with financial fraud is that people, um, you know, it happens to people of all ages, all demographics, and then people just don't like to report it. And yeah. for all kinds of reasons, that embarrassment, that loyalty, that, you know, feeling like that self-blame. So it's just tough. It's really tough to, to knock it down. Well, I mean, so what are some things that we can do? Like, especially for older adults, we know maybe we don't have a lot of older adults listening to our podcast right now, but that doesn't mean, you know, like there aren't warning signs for them, but then also for, um, for us. So like, what are some things to watch for? Well, and this kind of is kind of leads into, well, the fact that I think more and more groups are recognizing that this is really important. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was reading this um, report recently from the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau on the summary of suspicious activity report. And this was all new to me. I didn't know that financial institutions had to report suspicious activities um, or that they would be keyed if they thought that it had to do with elder financial exploitation, but they, they do have to do that. And people have started to really look at this data, and that's where we're seeing um, more information about how much people are losing. Um, so the average amount that this report reported that older adults might be losing was around 34000 That's quite a bit of money. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And so I think, you know, what has come out of this kind of looking at how is money being moved around through these financial institutions is something called the Senior Safe Act. And I was just really happy to find out that now there is a um, legislation that protects financial service professionals from being sued if they, you know, report suspicious financial elder financial abuse to law enforcement. Um, I hadn't really thought about the fact that that would be a li potential liability for them if they reported it. Um, and having a law in place that encourages them to report it, I'm really hopeful that this will allow people to kind of start catching some of this fraudulent activity and putting it 
well, maybe not putting a stop to it, but minimizing it. So yeah, definitely minimizing it. Um, I did look at the, the summary of suspicious activity and I didn't, I did know about SARS for a long time. I, uh, I worked at a bank when I was in high school. And so if someone brought in like a large amount of money or they wanted to move money around, we usually had to, um, do file one, like after someone left. Sure. Uh, that makes sense. But I would say that the thing that I found that a couple things I found that were interesting from this report, Kathy, was that, um, that there were the filings quadrupled from 2013 to 2017 and that in 2017 elder financial exploitation SARS, so suspicious activity reports totaled about 63,500. So almost 64,000. Yes. Um, so that's not as many as we probably, um, were hoping for, you know, cause like you said, a lot of that, that a lot of people don't report, but I mean, at least financial institutions are becoming more aware. And the yes. other thing I thought was interesting was that losses were greater when the older adult knew the suspect and the average amount lost was about 50,000 versus um, when the suspect was a stranger, it was closer to 17,000. And I think that makes sense when I stop to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's somebody that knows the older adult, they probably have easier access to their financial information yes. and things like that. And also coming back to like reasons why people don't um, report things is that they may be dependent on that person um, that's stealing the money, but in a way they're dependent on them just to, you know, have their daily activities helped with or to manage things. And so they may feel really hesitant to put a stop to it. Well, they may so. fear that retaliation. Like, you know, if your daughter is manipulating you and, you know, like you tell her she can't have that money, like maybe she won't feed you for the next two days. Like that's kind of scary. Yeah. And that I does mean, happen. Physical abuse could definitely be a piece of it. Yeah. Um, so well, I think there's too. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, um, not to like be a real downer, but. We have to be aware that it isn't always strangers. It can be somebody in the family as well. And certainly this report is showing that um, the impact could be really high. So I think that kind of leads us into this idea of how can we protect people if we, you know, are wondering and how would we even know if somebody was, you know, a part of financial fraud? And I think there's some good ideas that we can kind of think about. So, for example, if you know somebody and all of a sudden um, they're, they're managing their money differently than they used to manage it. So we all have family members that manage money better or worse or more, you know, pay more or less attention to it. But if you see a change in pattern where somebody maybe who always was on top of their bills and able to pay them on time and now seems to be struggling to pay their bills or aren't getting them in on time and there's, you know, challenges that way, I think that would be a really good idea to like talk to them and find out what's happening here. Is there something going on that, you know, they need some help with? I think another way that this might look is like maybe they always used to go out to breakfast with their friends like two or three times a week and then suddenly it just stops mm -hmm. or they're like, I really can't afford to do that now. Like that, I think that that might be a red flag for others when they're talking about, especially finances. You know, we, we don't talk you know, finances and like, oh, I can't, I don't have enough money. It's when we're like, I just stopped doing activities like that. 
Yes. And I knew an older woman who was in our family and towards the end of her life, all of a sudden she was getting all these packages and things in the mail, like subscriptions to things that she had signed up for. And, you know, just like a lot of extra charitable, you know, a ton of things asking for money for charity things, free products. Um, and then she was taking phone calls from people and considering buying things like penny stocks. And this was a woman who had managed her money for years, managed her investments for years and done an excellent job of it. And all of a sudden it was just like money was flying out the door on things that we didn't think she really even wanted. Um, and so we really had to kind of up our ante in the family to say, you know, what's going on here and how are you, what's happening? Um, it, it was a real like eye-opening experience for me. Well, one, I can give you an example of one thing that I, um, that is a warning sign, um, multiple phone calls taken in secrecy. So, um, Kyle's, my husband's grandfather recently started taking, uh, all these phone calls in secret, like his phone ring and he'd go in the other room for like 20 minutes or so. And like this happened multiple occasions. And I'm just like, what is going on? But it turned out he was just dating a, a woman who he eventually married. But at the time we were like, what is grandpa doing? So a lot of, um, questions about, <laughs> I mean, yes, it can be multiple phone calls taken in secrecy could be a warning sign, but also just, I think communication is a good piece of this too like just ask them what's going on maybe they'll you know hopefully be honest with you i yeah so good good example that sometimes what we think is a sign of a big problem might actually be a positive thing happening mm -hmm. they just don't want to talk about it yet with everybody yeah but that giving people the opportunity to talk to you so you know just sort of reflecting with them that you know i noticed that you're getting you know that you seem to be kind of anxious about your money you're very you know you, you and I want to talk about it. You get very stressed out. Is there anything going on that, you know, I can help you with? Is there something happening that's really causing this anxiety that's different than, you know, what was, you know, that's new in your life and giving people that opening to talk about it. I think some other things are like, uh, abrupt changes like in their will, like if they're all of a sudden they need to change it or update it, um, you know, changing beneficiaries or insurance or other financial documents like that's a really big red flag for you too. Um, obviously like, you know, there are those instances when, or a son or a daughter may be kicked out of the will, but like, you know, those are like legit reasons, I guess for those people. But you know, if we're talking about like, Oh, I'm adding, um, a random person to this will, like that doesn't make any sense. So that actually happened multiple times in, um, a, the lives of some individuals in my family. There was a woman who was taking advantage of, um, my grandmother and then, um, an aunt of hers and um, abruptly changed her will. Both of them had changed their will so that, that this woman could receive the money. Um, and we knew what was going on, but there's once it happens, there's really not a lot to change it until afterwards. So I'm, I've seen that happen in my own life. Yeah, that's really sad when that happens and yes. you can see it happening and, um, you know, there's a limited amount that you can do about it at that point in time. Um, but that kind of brings me back to a thought that I had. I was remembering, I, you know, I, my husband and I go to a financial professional to help us with our finances. And a few years back, um, he asked us, how would we feel if 
um, let's say that he saw a change in how we were using our money or making investment decisions or if we had tr you know pulled a lot of money out kind of without a plan per se you know he wondered if there was somebody he could contact that to let them know that he was seeing a change in our financial practices um, kind of thinking about that thing about like well with as we age we might not be making good decisions or financial fraud and you know my husband and I thought that was a really excellent idea actually mm -hmm. so we talked about the fact that he would be you know able to go talk to our sons if he saw something like that happening and um, I think we even signed a little agreement to that effect that it would be our sons but you know again that idea that watching out for each other so mm -hmm. watching out for our relatives but also talking to your financial professional about you know can you watch out for me too because right now I feel pretty confident in my financial decisions I don't feel like he would have cause to go to my sons yeah. about it but by the time I'm not confident I'm not going to be thinking to tell him I'm not confident does that make sense no it definitely, definitely makes sense and I actually enjoyed um, when we were talking about it earlier I actually sent an article to Kyle my husband and said hey your firm should be doing this because this is a great idea um, it doesn't like you know necessarily bypass like powers of attorney but it's just another option to keep that conversation that dialogue flowing that way you know if something does happen to you or to me or whoever it is like that we're being looked out and making sure that we're making the right decisions yes and I and in no way do I think this replaces or in it, um, a power of attorney I didn't mean mm -hmm. to indicate that at all no, 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 no. I think it's just another way of saying you know in the future how would you feel if we communicate more about this and we communicate yes. you know right now my finances are kind of confidential with my financial professional right mm -hmm. I'm not anticipating that he would go out and talk to other family members about him but if something changed then I am comfortable about it and you know my sons have our power of attorney anyway so that would be the logical place yes. um, but it kind of just helps with that and at the same time this new senior safety act protects our financial professionals if they um, feel like they need to make that step and have that communication I think of it like I said to you earlier Kathy like it's just like a it's like a HIPAA form almost like instead of it mm -hmm. like we're talking about um, medical you know procedures or things like that um, it's more about the finance aspect and I think that you know it's a I'm gonna call it the financial HIPAA form but that's not really what it is but that's what I would yeah I would have to understand that HIPAA form a little bit better before I'd want to <laughs> necessarily tag it that way but but I think it is a way of you know saying hey, communication with this person is good and yes. take action on that. But I, it made me feel a little bit more secure, too, that if for some reason I did something that seemed a little crazy, then, you know, that they have my back on that. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with them enough for a lot, enough years that I think they would recognize if I did something that was a little, you know, out of whack. Yes. So. Because like I said, I teach about financial fraud, but I don't kid myself that I couldn't end up with a problem with it. Um, I'm no better than anybody else. So it could happen to me, too. I mean, it does affect everyone. So, you know, yes. that's a good point to make is that even though we're financial educators, it doesn't mean it won't happen to us. That's right. We're not like immune to <laughs> receiving financial fraud. Um, no, I wish. Wouldn't that be a nice little perk that came I with know, the job? Right? Like a superpower, like no financial fraud ever. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I didn't just, I'm now thinking of like this superhero cape on my back, like, you know, doing the superhero stance. So, you know. I know. I always think that would be like a really nice perk. I mean, I feel like uh, I, we're going down a rabbit hole, but it reminds me of like when you got audited by the IRS. And you yes. did blog about this. So I just, but I just remember being like, of all the people <laughs> to get audited. <laughs> like, well, you know, and we started that audit and I was like, oh, I hope this works out because I could have made a mistake and, you know, it all was good. And um, we went through it with flying colors, but exactly, you know, I can make mistakes just like somebody else. So yeah. but it just made me laugh. Like, you know, I wish, you know, we had that, like. That's superpower. That'd be kind of cool. I like that. I do too. Uh, So we've talked about like if we see something going on with a friend or a family member or especially an older adult, you know, approaching them and talking about it and giving them an opportunity to share with you if something's um, financial fraud is going on. But sometimes there's situations where I think, you know, somebody feels like they can't go talk about it Mm -hmm. or they do give them that that opportunity and they don't take you up on it. Yeah. Um, I think it's important realize that there's other resources out there that can help you yeah so like one that i always keep in mind is that there in every community area we have adult protective services and one of the things that they can typically do is if they get a phone call saying that somebody's concerned about an older adult they can do a visit and check on the situation and that's especially helpful when our relatives live so far away from us that we can't be there um and it doesn't mean they're gonna it's not like calling the police not that calling the police is a good thing to but it's not like there's going to necessarily be you know criminal activity that you have to report but maybe you're just worried about something or you're concerned about what's happening at the home Um, you can always do like a wellness check on somebody too like you can always call the police like the non-emergency line and ask for a wellness check especially if you are worried about that person whether it's you haven't been able to get a hold of them for hours and you know maybe you're afraid that they've fallen or that they're just you know I think that that's a lot of people get really weary of the police but sometimes i feel like even just a wellness check can help so i think a wellness check with with the police is a good idea and especially if you think there's a a threatening situation or there's really criminal activity going on um you know then definitely just you know call the police um but if you have a more like just general like worry like i'm not sure they're managing their finances right or maybe something's going on elder care is another option so you can always check um www.eldercare.com gov and um, find out who the adult protective services in your area is and just call and talk to them Um, and you know really their mission is to help people live as independently as possible so they're not trying to move people into nursing homes or anything like that Um, they're just trying to see what's going on and maybe that person you know just needs a little extra help um, to stay in their home and stay financially um, independent and there may be services they can connect them to yeah I know like in our area there's a lot of senior services there's a lot of senior companion programs there's a lot of those things going on so good resources available whether you're you know in Illinois like we are or Texas California wherever you are just you know make sure that you look and find out where those resources are for you and it could be something as simple as somebody's having trouble writing their checks just because of arthritis or holding onto a pen is getting difficult so they're not getting their bills paid on time because their hand hurts Mm -hmm. Um, you know there's 
there are resources where people can come in um, through adult services and and help write those checks. They're bonded and things like that. So, you know, that's just a very simple thing, but it might make a big difference for somebody in their financial life. And help um, keep them in their house. And help keep them independent. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's the little things that end up making a big difference. Um, I would say also, you know, they are, we are really only talking about financial fraud today, but we do realize that people can become victims of identity theft. And um, we just want to make sure that, you know, if you think that you, that this person that you love is a person, like if they are a victim of identity theft, that um, we definitely want you to get involved with the federal trade commission. But also, you know, if you think of a crime has been committed that you want to file a police report and then there's actually, um, an identity theft affidavit that can be created through, you know, the stuff from the the Federal Trade Commission and the police to kind of create that to help help people when they're dealing with that. Yeah, excellent point, because a lot of times this financial fraud does have pieces of identity theft um, in it, too. So it's kind of a multi-pronged problem, um, but there's help out there. I guess that's the key point, right? Yes. That people shouldn't feel alone. Um, we want to help them not feel alone, feel that there are people that can help them. Um, if there is financial fraud going on, there's people that can help put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. And that's important, because the longer it goes on, the more... Um, money that's likely to get lost Correct. so um, just to encourage people to like make that step to reach out for help and whether it's somebody that you know personally or calling the police or calling um, you know adult protective services in your own community um, you can take that action as well as taking it for somebody else yes I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we touched on a lot of things today, but I, I feel like the, the biggest key point of this is like to keep communicating and make sure that the older adult in your life or the older adults in your life don't feel isolated and that, that they feel like you can kind of have these conversations, especially about finances, because as we get older, you know, we do have normal brain aging. So just some things to be considerate of. Yeah. And if you haven't, you know, if you're having trouble wondering, how do I bring up that kind of conversation with, you know, my grandma or my parent or my older neighbor, you know, you could always say, well, I was listening to this podcast and it was talking about financial (laughs) fraud. I thought that was really interesting. Have you ever, you know, thought about that or experienced any financial fraud? And there you go. You got your conversation open. In the Federal Trade Commission, they're actually really good about sending out emails about updated scams and frauds that are going on. You know, like every year we deal with the IRS scam and fraud that, you know, the IRS is calling you and that they are going to come get you and take away your house and your cats and your dogs and all the things. Um, you Which know, does so, not happen. We're yeah. just going to see that's not what the IRS does. <laughs> the IRS will send you a letter first. They'll never call you. They don't have access to our phone numbers yet. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think it is just a, a good reminder to that if you are worried about, you know, these these frauds or scams that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission does have uh, a resource available that they send out, you know, like every couple of days or so about new frauds or scams or things you should be thinking about, you know, for um, everyone, but also older adults. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, this is just a way to start thinking about it. I think having it in our brain that stuff like this goes on can just make us more aware and hopefully protect ourselves as well as others from this financial fraud. Yes. Well, Kathy, I think this kind of covers elder financial exploitation. 
Yeah, Did thank you for talking about it. Yeah. No, I just, I think this is important, even though, you know, we don't like to think about it. And I, I appreciate the chance to have this chat with you about it. But it's something maybe that we should all take home and over the next, you know, time you have a meal with an older person or a younger person, bring up financial fraud and how to protect yourself. Well, thank you, Kathy. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And we hope that you have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Feuds. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.